Get ready for brilliant people, brilliant ideas, and a regular good time. This is Brilliant Thoughts with Success People editor Tristan Almada, the show that thinks about how personalities, relationships, and communication shape business success. And now here he is, Tristan Almada. This was a fun one. I've got Barry Nailbuff. He's a professor at Yale in the School of Management, where he's been teaching about negotiations for over 30 years. That's a while to teach on negotiations. This guy's got it down. He's advised the NBA in their CBA negotiations, and he was kind enough to advise me on some of his negotiation secrets. This is where I had fun. Now, he's also the co-founder of Honest Tea, which you may have heard of. They sold to Coca-Cola. He has a new book called Split the Pie. Here's my talk. Listen in. Welcome back to another episode of Brilliant Thoughts, a success podcast. And today I've got Barry Nailbuff. Yes, just like it reads, it's an easy name to remember. And he he wrote the book Split the Pie. That's what we're going to talk about today. Barry, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Man, I, I read the book and I'm just, it was very, very good. I, I didn't often look at negotiation this way before and it really made me think deeper and that's why I loved it so much. And I've got to ask you before we start, instead of choosing a pizza, why not choose an apple pie? <laughs> I'm just asking. Well, uh, people think New Haven is famous for Yale. Well, when it comes down to it, the hardest places to get into are Pepe's and Sally's, the pizzerias. And nice. uh, so, you know, I with apologies to those folks out there in Chicago uh, and those folks in Italy, New Haven has the best pizza in the world. And therefore, how can we talk about anything but splitting a pizza pie? Now I understand. <laughs> I love it. Well, welcome to the show, Barry. Thanks for being on. We appreciate you. And let's get right into it. I had a question at the very beginning of the book, you bring up power Mm -hmm. and I've interviewed some other amazing people and the word power came up a few times. What does your book, how, how does your book look at that word power and how does it look at it differently? People think that the larger party is somehow bringing more to the table. The person who has a better fallback, what's often sometimes called a batna has more power in negotiation. And I think that's all messed up. I think that when you correctly understand what you're negotiating over, that the two parties are bringing the same thing to the table. They're bringing what the negotiation is about, and they're equally essential, and therefore, they're equally powerful. Ah, all right. I love that. That's a, And that's a good explanation because our audience, remember, is entrepreneurs, business people, and they often come to grips with that term power. So I love that. Now let's let's talk a little bit more about that because you bring up the word BATNA. And for those people who don't know, the best alternative to a negotiated agreement, BATNA. And negotiation, there's one phrase that I want to bring from the book. Negotiation is about creating and capturing value. That's what you said. And I love that. Can you expand on that so people understand that? Sure. Let me first say I'm a Johnny OneNote. So I teach business strategy and I teach negotiation. And when I talk about strategy, it's about creating a pie and capturing a slice. When I teach negotiation, it's about capturing a slice and creating a pie. And so 
there's two activities you do in life. The cooperative activity is the making the big pie. The competitive activity is looking out for what you're going to get. And so those are the two strategies, create value and capture value. The goal is not to destroy the pie in the process of trying to capture it. Wow, I like that. You know, that that can be used for, I'm just thinking out loud here with you, Barry, but that can be used for social media, right? The, it's so amazing. I love that. It can be used in a marriage. <laughs> that's any. true. Oh, that's funny. Have you, I mean, are, are you married, Barry, or not? Uh, now, uh, we've been together over 40 years, so yes. Okay. I think, uh, that's awesome. And today's Valentine's Day for those, so it's a day to think about that. That's so funny. Yeah, you know what? Let's use let's use Batna for marriage. This is so good. I love that. All right, Barry, I've got a whole bunch of questions here for you because your book is split into these five sections. And I'm going to go over it with, with the audience just in case they don't have the book in front of them. book is called Split the Pie. It's the pie, splitting the cost, complex negotiations, how to grow the pie, and negotiation mechanics. And I want you to take us through the process so that people get a deeper understanding of the book. So when they're reading it, they can kind of go along with this. But the idea of the pie, I understand now why you chose pie, New Haven, pizza, awesome. But, and the simplicity of it. As you're talking about people looking at equal portions of the pie, you you also talk about everyone bringing a little bit into it can you explain how that concept got started? Because you use you use Coca-Cola, you use other companies, and I want people to understand that the concept goes deep into this whole idea of negotiation in companies. Sure. What is it that the folks doing the negotiation are hoping to accomplish? They're trying to achieve something better than what they would do without this negotiation. So what they get without this negotiation is their fallback or their BATNA, and therefore the value that's created in the negotiation is how much better they collectively can do than they would do on their own. And the example I use to start the book is that there's a 12-slice pizza that if they don't reach a deal, Alice will get four slices and Bob will get two. And a lot of people think that Alice is stronger, more powerful, because she can get twice as many slices as Bob if there's no deal. But I think the misunderstanding is they're not negotiating over 12 slices because they have six slices with no deal. And the reason they're having this negotiation is to go from six slices to 12. And those extra six slices are what the negotiation is about. And if Bob walks away, Alice gets nothing more than her four slices. Similarly, if Bob, if, if Bob walks away, Alice gets nothing more than her four slices. Alice walks away, Bob gets nothing more than his two slices. The whole goal of negotiation is to beat what you can get with no deal. And each party is equally needed to make that happen. So I think those extra six slices should be divided three and three. Oh, nice. And do you think that's, that's common in the business world for people to look at it that way or no? Absolutely not. Not in the business world, not in any world. If you'd like, the point of this book is to change the way people see negotiation. And one of the reasons that people dislike negotiation is that they feel taken advantage of, that the bobs of this world, not only do they have a smaller batna, a smaller fallback of two, but they end up getting a smaller share of the pie than their contributions should indicate. And therefore, 
they don't feel it's fair that Alice's will say, oh, the proportional split, the four to two is fair, but that's only because that's where she's sitting. And she wouldn't feel that way if she were in Bob's shoes. And so the concept of fairness and power should not reflect which side you're on. Ah, and that, that I think is, is the difference here. That's why I enjoyed the book so much because it really brings that perspective. I wrote a question here for you. What's at stake when negotiations are, are looked at from an outside perspective? So not the two parties, right? Not the two okay. parties negotiating with each other. I'm talking about, because we live in a world where social media looks in, the media looks in, any media looks in and says, oh, look at these parties, they're unequal and they're negotiating, right? What's at stake in that perspective from the media looking in and then disorienting part of the negotiation saying, hey, and then Barry, let's say, I'll give you an example. Let's say you, are nego- you and I are negotiating and, and you have you have the upper hand according to the media because you're just much more, you have a bigger audience, you're amazing, right? And I'm coming in and I've only got this one piece. Mm-hmm. And then we finally agree on something, but the perspective coming in and saying, well, Barry's so much better, right? How does that, how does that play to the negotiations? Because now if you get wind of the media saying, well, Barry, Barry's definitely got the upper hand here. And now something else came to play because of it, will that make you feel like you didn't get an equal fair share in the negotiations? Uh, I think that the trick is to, again, figure out what it is we're negotiating over. And when we can understand what the pie is, what the purpose of our negotiation is, what each side is contributing, and maybe the pie is small because one of us only has a little something to bring compared to no deal. Let me, if I, I'm going to do something that's probably not allowed in podcast world, but I'm going to ask you Let's a question. It. I'm going to oh, ask you it. a question, try and interview oh. you for a second here. Go ahead, shoot. My mother was renting a her house in Florida and the person she was renting it from decided to put the house on the market. Wow. And she was happy to stay there and buy it from him. And now he hadn't yet hired a real estate agent. And let's say that the market price of this house, we can agree, is 800000 Okay. And the real estate agent commission would have been 5% or 40000 Mm-hmm. What price should my mother pay to buy this house? Probably the 800000 So you think that the seller should be $40,000 ahead because she should pay the same price as that she would have paid in any other circumstance. I mean, my, if, that's the, if that's the market value. It is the market value. Now, my friend, who is a real estate agent, says, no, 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 my mother should have paid 760 mm. Because 760 is what the seller would have gotten if he sold this with a real estate agent to anybody else. Got it. And my view is that what my mother should pay is 780 Ah, somewhere in the middle. I like that. Essentially, by not hiring a real estate agent, the two of them can save $40,000. And who is needed more to save that $40,000? My mother or the seller? And the answer is, if the seller doesn't sell to my mom, $40,000 goes away. If my mom buys another unit, 
from somebody else, that 40000 goes away. So they're equally needed to get that 40000 so they should like split that. it 20-20. Oh, now, very good. And now, actually, think about how the negotiation should go because that actually goes back to your answering your question of who's being treated fairly or not. Instead mm-hmm. of talking about the price up front, what the, nego- the way the negotiation went is, if we work together, we can save 40000 Can we agree that we'll split that forty, and come up with essentially an appraised value for what the amount should be, and then take 20000 off of it? You'll be 20000 ahead. We'll be 20000 ahead. Got it. That makes a lot of sense, man. I like that. It's more fair. And the negotiation took about two minutes. And then well, there was a little bit of data back and forth. Okay, here are the seven sales that have taken place on this street in the last mm-hmm. year because there are a lot of units that are similar. So let's actually try and figure out what the fair appraisal is. But in some sense, it no longer was a negotiation. It was now a sort of a data exploration problem as Got opposed it. to we'd already agreed our goal is to make a big pie and split it. So then when you're negotiating, you're saying, well, let's get, let, let's get to the crux of the thing first of the matter. Mm-hmm. Saying let's, let's deal with the fairness of the issue first, and then let's deal with the data. Absolutely. And along with fairness, I'm going to say power too. Because the mm-hmm. reason it's fair is the two of us have equal power in that negotiation. Neither of us can create that 40000 alone. All right. Which goes into something you said. Uh, I think you mentioned something along the, the lines of the current power perspective confuses power outside the negotiated with power inside the negotiated. Mm-hmm. Yep. So that makes a lot of sense now. I like that. And by the way, so... Somebody says, well, it's a hot market down in Florida. Yeah, okay. So that just means the appraisal number should be a high number. Yeah. It doesn't it change. Should. that. But the negotiation is not about the appraisal part, if you'd like. Mm-hmm. It's about the reason why these two people should be doing the deal compared to somebody else. So I have a question then in that, because uh, let's say my answer, I answered 800,000. I, yeah. I was just seeing what you would answer after oh, that. Sure, um, sure. Because- why can't one side have more power? Now I'm looking at this, Barry, now I'm looking at this and saying, well, the world that we live in, it, it's kind of harsh sometimes. And yeah. there, there are going to be some people that, remember the 48 Laws of Power, right? That book. Um, there are going to be some people that just say, hey, you know what? Screw it. I don't care. I'm, I'm, I'm the one with the most power. Well, I'm just going to take advantage of it. So you're the seller here and you're saying, if you bought any other place, you'd have to pay 800000 So give me 800000 Yeah. And Let's my see. response as the buyer is, hey, you're right. This place is worth $800,000. i am not arguing with you on that. But if you sell it to anybody else, you're only going to get seven sixty. And so for the same reason you think I should pay you eight hundred, I think you should take seven sixty. Now, you're asking for all the pie. That's outrageous, but it's equally outrageous for me to ask for all the pie. And yeah. the only thing that I think is reasonable is that we split it. And you can't give me an argument for why you should get more than half for the same reason why I can't give you an argument that I should get more than half. Yeah. And that's that's assuming too, I mean, some, that's something you talked about, that both parties care almost equally or pretty equally. Because if the other party doesn't really care, be like, screw it, I'm just going to go ahead and, and put it up for 800000 anyway and see if maybe I get even more. So I end up with more. Well, that's a different point. That is the point of maybe the right appraisal number isn't 800. And so we should be figuring out what the right number is that we subtract the 20,000 from. Got it. So I'm willing to agree that it, 
how we come up with the right number is a, is a challenge. You know, if the person says, look, I'm hoping that I'm going to find some sucker who's going to pay more than market value. Yeah. Okay. The other answer is you may find out that it was a bad time to sell the house and you're going to end up having to get less than the market value. Sure. So, uh, so I'm prepared to pay market value. And if you think, I don't sure, I'm not sure why you think you're going to be lucky versus unlucky in this regard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that. And Barry, question for you. When are you going to start teaching real estate classes? That's what I want to know. <laughs> that was really good, by the way. Now, serious, in all seriousness, Barry, what if what if one party just cares more? Because I've seen that. Sure. Uh, so let's actually take that case where one side says, you know, uh, money isn't so important to me. Mm-hmm. So basically, uh, I'm going to hold out for the 800. Mm-hmm. And my response is, you tell me you don't care about money, you can do 760, you won't even notice. And so it's kind of funny to say that just because you don't care, you should get more. I would say if you don't care, it's easy for you to make a sacrifice. Why are you fighting yeah. so hard? I'm the one who sure. really cares about money, so I should be the one who gets more of it. So should I take the perspective of what I get, which in this case is plus 20, or what I'm giving up? which is I'm giving up $20,000. i am making a $20,000 sacrifice in terms of letting you have half the pie. And so the perspective of sacrifice says the person who cares less should make the bigger sacrifice. Got it. Makes sense. Now, are there some core things that we should be looking at that almost all negotiations have? Like regardless of the situation with what we're negotiating, are there some core principles that, that are there for negotiations that we can start with? What I'd like to do is think about how to start negotiation. Perfect. And uh, let's start with the wrong thing, offering somebody a price. I'll give you 720000 and that's my final number. Okay. Really, that's terrible. Yeah. What Fisher and Yuri talk about in Getting to Yes, which is great, mm-hmm. is – Let's talk about what people's interests are, not just their positions. Okay, that's a great way to make a pie. I'm there. But I want to go back a step before that, which is I'd like to start a negotiation with how it is we're going to negotiate. Can we talk mm. about what the ground rules are? Our goal in this negotiation is to make a really big pie and split it. I'd like the whole pie. I know you want the whole pie, but if you're prepared to agree now to split the pie with me, then we can spend all of our effort on making a big pie and not have to watch our back. If what you say to me is, no, I'm a greedy SOB and my goal is to take advantage of you and get as much of the pie as possible, Mm -hmm. all right, I understand who I'm negotiating with and now it's not going to be a lot of fun and I'm not sure we're (laughs) going to create a big pie together. In fact, we may not have any deal as a result of this. Got it. I like that. I like that approach too, because we, we don't often look at it that way. We usually we usually see here's my price, right? Here's the offer. Mm-hmm. Right. It's very basic in that sense. But there's a lot more to it because if we look at how are we going to negotiate, I think then we start addressing our I think Barry, I was thinking of this as I was reading it. I was like, well, this is a this is really addressing our ego. Interesting. Right? Now we're, now we're getting to the middle of it. Uh, and our aloe, by the way, our ability to understand the other person's perspective. Yeah, And that's actually what negotiation is about. It's the 
answering questions and asking questions. I have to ask questions to take the other person's perspective, but I also have to answer questions so they can understand what's important to me. People say, people's mm. first reaction is when somebody asks for something is to say no. My first reaction is to say yes. How can I give you what it is that you want? Because if you get what you want, then I can get what it is that I want. You are now motivated to do a deal. And that doesn't necessarily mean just giving you lots of money. It's figuring out what you really want. Yeah, that's true. But it's a challenge too, because we don't often say yes. We often say, whoa, whoa, this just already sounds way too. How do we get there? Barry, how do we get there mentally? How do we start shifting our minds to be able to look at the opportunity instead of focusing on, on the problem? It's a lot easier if what we've agreed to do up front is split the pie. Because now I don't have to worry about how much I'm getting versus how much you're getting. Now it's about problem solving. I'll give you a recent example from one of my students I thought was uh, remarkable. Mm-hmm. That uh, she ended up in an apartment she didn't like. Okay. And she had a long lease and she wanted to get out of it without paying a huge price. Okay. And it turned out that she sent a tape recording of uh, water rushing noises in her office at five o'clock in the morning to her landlord. Okay. And what she discovered is her landlord hated being a landlord. That this person sort of just wanted a quiet life, uh, wanted to cash some checks and was not uh, keen on on this. And so uh, what they did uh, was when they understood the, the landlord's perspective, they mm-hmm. said to the landlord, uh, look, I promise I am never going to send you a complaint, anything, uh, provided you come up with a way to help us move out by this date. And so effectively, they understood that the landlord cared more about quiet and peace of life than necessarily having a long lease. And by effectively saying, I'm not going to complain, they gave the landlord what the landlord wanted. And the landlord then gave them what they wanted. So the goal is to figure out what it is the other side wants so you can give it to them. It's sometimes it's it's cryptic though, right? Trying to find what it is that the other side wants. Uh, not always so easy. One way to do that, by the way, is to ask them what they don't want, because mm. that way, that way you can be sure not. People have no trouble telling you that either. And so it's also uh, you can say in a job negotiation, you know, tell me where you're least flexible. Now, of course, by implication, the, everything else they are more flexible than where they're least flexible. That's true. And no Interesting ever, way. And no one is ever scared about telling you where they're least flexible. They're happy so interesting. To, they're happy to reveal that to you. So, uh, so yes, you have to ask questions. But also people think that they're afraid to give away information. But if you don't answer questions, then the other side won't be able to figure out what it is that you want. Let me, so true. Let me see if I can try another question. Uh, question on you, if I may. Yeah, let's do it. I uh, love this. Uh, Alakaya and Bernice have a negotiation that will end Friday at five. Okay. And if they don't reach a deal, they both get zero. Okay. But it turns out that Alakaya actually has a deadline Wednesday at five that Alakaya knows about and Bernice does not. Mm-hmm. Should Alakaya reveal this earlier deadline to Bernice or not? I would say, if I'm going to go through the fairness way, I probably would say, yes. 
Let's forget yeah. about fairness then. Let's just, yeah. just total power question. Total power but, question? No. Yeah. And so I'm going to disagree with you on that. Oh, I love this. Go. <laughs> and the reason is, when is Bernice's deadline? Actually. Bernice's it, deadline is, is Tuesday. It's Wednesday at 5. It's Wednesday the same as Al, it's Alakaya's because if Alakaya doesn't get a deal, neither does Bernice. Got it. Got so it. So she thinks saying. her deadline is Friday at 5, but it's actually Wednesday at 5 because two parties always have the same deadline. And so Friday, Wednesday at 4, Alakaya is going to be out there all nervous and thinking, I only got another hour, whereas Bernice has mm -hmm. no idea that there's – Bernice thinks it's another two days. So what I think Alakaya awesome. should say to Bernice is, look, I got some bad news for you. It's not Friday at five. It's Wednesday at five is when we actually include this deal. So yeah. let's get let's get cracking. Because my deadline yeah. is your deadline. And people keep information like that they think is hidden. They want to yeah. keep information hidden because they think it's going to put them in a weak position, but actually revealing it puts you in a stronger position. That's see, that's that's the key, I think, right there. But it's hard for people to see it. So when you're listening into this, right? I and the reason, Barry, I, I'm answering like power wise, I do get to see a lot of negotiations like firsthand where because they're in a place of what they consider to be powerful, they come in and they hide that information and it makes the negotiation so much more difficult. Sure. Right. So that makes sense. Uh, a question for you, Barry. What what do you teach at Yale? What classes do you teach? I teach strategy. I teach game theory. And right now, the focus of my teaching is on negotiation with MBA students at Yale. Nice. I love that. So, so far, I think I'm getting an F plus, Barry, I think. Eh, no, we're easy graders at Yale. <laughs> I'm joking. A minus, A minus. <laughs> okay, okay. Not bad. Not bad. You're very nice, Barry. Uh, I like that. All right. Well, let's continue on this because we've gone through the pie, splitting the cost. I think we're, we're touching on complex negotiations here. Sure. How do we then grow the pie? The way to grow the pie is to understand the other side's perspective and then to figure out ways to give them what it is they want. Uh, so let's start with just uh, another example. Uh, you're selling a gas station. And the reason you're selling the gas station is because you want to take a trip around the world on your sailboat. Okay. Should you reveal that to me or not as a seller? Um, yeah, I th I, now I think so, right? Okay. If we're gonna, because, because if I don't win, you don't win, and okay. we're in this together. So, in particular, uh, there are good reasons for selling a gas station and a bad reason. Yeah. A bad reason for selling a gas station is the oil tank underneath leaked, and we now have a toxic Superfund site cleanup. Yeah. So, uh, I would be unhappy to hear that. Oh, as definitely. A, as a buyer, how do I feel about the fact that you want to take a trip around the world? That's amazing because now I, I feel like I understand you better. I understand me better. And it's a good reason for you selling the station. Yeah. It's not a bad reason. It doesn't tell me, oh, the exit ramp to this gas station is being closed. So therefore, there's no going to be any business coming forward. Uh, there's no Superfund site cleanup about to happen. Now, you yeah. might feel embarrassed. You might think, oh, that's not a particularly good reason. And so what students often say in this case is they'll say, oh, I'm retiring. And they give a, a white lie. But 
when I say I'm going to be going and taking a trip around the world for two years on my boat, what is the natural question that should come up after that? Natural question on why you're taking a trip around I, I, the world. Well, I, no, I, I'm doing that because I'm, I love sailing. This has been my life. Dream. Oh, got it. Uh, I'm, I'm 48 years old. This is the time for me to do it. Uh, if I don't do it now, I'm not sure I'll have a chance to do it later. Yeah, I got uh, it. So it'd be like, why? Yeah, I want to know. I want to so, know more. So this is my this is my hope, my dream that I I I've always wanted to do it, and selling the station is going to allow me to do this. Hmm. Interesting. I like this. So very. It's it's very interesting as you're saying this. I, so I get to I get to. Ne- I get to be in the middle of different negotiations. We help startups yeah. grow. And and I'm seeing this because when I'm completely open with the other party in negotiations, mm-hmm. all of a sudden it changes the dynamic. Absolutely. So let me stick with the gas station one for a moment. Hmm. I think the natural question is, what are you going to do when you come back? Yeah. What's then, next? What's next? And the answer is, well, what's next is, you know, I need a job because- <laughs> Basically, I'll be done. Uh, I can't be on a sailboat for the rest of my life. <laughs> yeah, that's so uh, funny. And in fact, I kind of need $75,000 as a reserve fund because I don't know if I have a job when I come back. And the buyer can say, well, wait a second. You're a great manager. Yeah. We have lots of stations. We're always trying to hire great managers. I'm happy to hire you when you come back. Okay. And so now we've solved a person's problem and now they really want to sell me the station. Yeah. Or and they come wouldn't. back. And what is their other problem? They've got a, they've got all their money tied up in a boat. Yeah. Now they may need money for a down payment on a house or an apartment. So it's like, well, look, I don't want to buy your boat. That's not my business. But yeah, I could lend you some money so that uh, with a boat of security, so to give you six months to sell the boat rather than a fire sale. So when I understand what you're trying to accomplish, I yeah. can then see what type of problems I can solve that then create a pie. Yeah, I can see that. Now, the challenge for that, just on the other end, mm-hmm. Barry, is that we've been so accustomed to, not not everybody, but we've been so accustomed to holding back some of this mm-hmm. information that we think we shouldn't share because mm-hmm. it might be a weakness. How How do we start shifting that? Because I'm not sure that Everyone listening in is going to be like, "Oh yeah, well let's let's just throw everything on the table that we think is is important here, right?" So I don't want somebody to have verbal diarrhea and just say, "Oh my God, I've got a, you know, I've got a payment on the boat due in six hours, and I'm ha- my spouse is having a nervous breakdown if we don't leave, and my absolute bottom number price is this." So mm-hmm. uh, no, you don't have to go there, but I don't think there's any harm in telling the person. Why you're selling, because it's a good reason, not a bad. What you're hoping to achieve. Now, let me be clear. If they offer you a job when you come back and they give you a loan against your boat when you come back, they are going to pay a little bit less for the station. That's fine because they've created a bigger pie. They should get some of it. But you're also <laughs> benefiting true. too. So it's, it's not, you know, yeah, of course, I'd like the job and the full price for the station. All right. But. What I really want is to be able to do this trip and have a job when I come back. And so yeah. this person has created value. Let's 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 share this. And uh, in my own life, uh, the biggest negotiation I had 
was mm-hmm. when I had the opportunity to sell a company I started with my student, Seth Goldman, called Honest Tea. Okay. And uh, Coca-Cola came around after uh, 10 years, and they were interested in buying the company. Mm-hmm. And uh, sadly, uh, Coca-Cola said no investment bankers. So okay. I had to negotiate this deal. It was the first time that the pie came out of the classroom into the world. Mm-hmm. And we had a challenge because we were too small for Coca-Cola at that time. Okay. Uh, Coke is brilliant at taking a company from 100 million in sales up to a billion. Yeah. They're also pretty good at taking a company from 50 million down to zero. <laughs> Not a good combination there. And, and so we had to get bigger before we could really fit into their system. And so they, they nice. agreed that they'd buy us in three years. Okay. Interesting. And during those three years, they'd help us with manufacturing, with distribution, with production, with purchasing. Okay. But now you can see what the problem is. They're also saying, well, we're going to help you do all these things, but we don't want to pay for the value that we create. Ah, I got it. Yep, yep. And uh, you can guess what my answer was at that point. Of course. Uh, You should... Uh, I agree you shouldn't pay full price for the value you should create. We should split it because, yes, it's true that we couldn't create that value without you, but you couldn't create that value without all of our customers who want to drink this lightly sweetened organic delicious tea. And so by putting your production, distribution, purchasing on our brand, we create a bigger pie. And so literally in the first hour of our negotiations, we agreed that they would pay full price on sales up to X and half price on sales that went above X. Because X is the number we thought we could do on our own, our BATNA, if you'd like. And anything above X could only happen with Coke's help, but could also, Coke's help could only happen with us to be the vehicle that needed the help. Now, what X was, was a matter of estimation, just like my mother's sale price on the condo. Uh, and similarly, what market price was, was, okay, what are past deals? What are market multiples here? But we yeah. agreed early on, we're going to create this big pie and we're going to split it. And now we're all on the same team. And now we know we're going to do a deal because we know we can create a big pie together. Did you... Did you set the tone for that negotiation first? Because I know you talk about it in the book. And I want to know, because in the approach that we're talking about, where people have to open up a little bit more to fully understand where we're at emotionally, Mm -hmm. right, with our decisions, were you the one that said, okay, guys, this is how we're going to negotiate. Let me show you. Did that come naturally? Uh, No, actually. Uh, Again, I was learning. uh, And so I I messed up. Uh, I started out. Uh, with a really high number, okay, uh, not what I recommend. And I very much remember uh, Derek uh, on the other side. His first his response to me was 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 perfect. In this case, he says, "Great, where do I sign?" And then paused and said, "Just kidding." <laughs> That's dude. Wow. All right. Uh, and so it was the most wonderful way of saying that's not your. That's not a good way of proceeding here. That's that's just not, it. it's not going to happen. Uh, and so, rather than just saying, "What planet are you on?" Uh, yeah, it was so much better to put a little humor in there. 
Uh, of course. And, and then I realized that, okay, we actually, uh, let's do this right. And uh, that's why it took an hour, not five minutes. Yeah, it makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. Now, you also talk about being empathetic and, or, or at least curious, you say. And that's a great place to start mm -hmm. because you brought that up earlier in negotiations. You said, yeah. hey, when um, it's not just the ego, but it's the aloe as well. And that's part of being curious and saying, hey, well, what, what, what's, what's truly going on here? Like, what's the drive, right? And I think if a lot of us would approach negotiation with a lot more empathy, more curiosity, we could get to where we want to get to much quicker and more fairly, Right, that's the assumption I, I am making from the whole book. Absolutely, and one of the tools that I learned from my colleague Dalian Kane, with whom I teach negotiation at Yale, mm -hmm. is the power of making the other side's argument for them. Uh, and this idea first came up with the notion of negotiating with a three-year-old. That mm. when you're trying to get the kid to come out of the bath or out of the pool. And you say, we're going to have to do something. The kid's natural response is to start crying. Why? Well, they don't have a great vocabulary. Their tongue muscles aren't all that well developed. So they have trouble sometimes even saying words. And they're thinking in their head, if only mom or dad could understand where I'm coming from, they would appreciate my perspective and would come up with a different answer. Well, what's true for three-year-olds is true for CEOs and everyone else, which mm -hmm. is in a negotiation, we can't always get what we want, but we can always be understood. And yeah. how, what's the best way to convince somebody that I understand their perspective? It's to make their arguments for them. And uh, sometimes this is called an accusation audit or something of that, of that form. But... It's actually not enough just to make their arguments for them, because if you stop there, then they should get what they want. They you have to also explain why there's some other factor that's more important than the perspective they have done. So it's not that they're yeah. it's not that they're failing to get their way because I don't understand them. I demonstrate my understanding by making their arguments, checking, by the way, have I got it right? And then I explain, here are some other factors, which is why I'm taking this position rather than the one on your side. That's a more, that's a much more powerful stance to come from in, in all negotiations, because you're saying, hey, I hear you. And here's what I'm hearing, right? That's yeah. super powerful. And why, in your perspective, I would be asking for these things. It makes a lot of sense. Uh, that nothing you're saying, this is... This is reasonable from your side. Uh, and if I understood it correctly. So, you know, kid, look, being in the pool is warm. It's fun. You get to float. Uh, on <laughs> yeah. the other hand, at some point, we're going to have to have dinner. And it turns out you're going to be hungry in about an hour. And if we yeah. don't leave the pool at that point by now, then we won't actually have dinner in time. And by the way, my partner also is going to be hungry and grumpy when they get home if they don't have uh, food waiting. And so as much fun as it is now, and if I were you, I would want to stay in that pool the rest of my life. Basically, we've got some other factors that end up being more important here. All right. That's true. All right. So now I have a question, and this goes back to your book too, because you bring it up there. 
creativity, and I do see mm-hmm. this in negotiations, like real negotiations, I feel like creativity is left to the end. Like, oh, mm-hmm. no, we couldn't come to terms on price. Let's get creative. Let's try to still make this happen. Yeah. And you say, let's get curious first, right? Absolutely. And how would you approach that? The reason uh, what, what the mantra version of this is people have creativity as a last resort rather than as a first resort. Mm-hmm. And the way I see this in my negotiations is, let's again take that gas station uh, example. Uh, if it turns out that the buyer is willing to pay 800000 for the station, and the seller is willing to pay uh, to sell it for four hundred thousand. Okay. And then, if I have my students do this deal, they're going to come up with a deal. I don't know, six hundred thousand, somewhere in between, and it's going to be a straight cash deal. If I say that the most the buyer is willing to pay is four fifty, and the seller needs four eighty to do their trip. Okay. Then what happens is they. Logheads, they run, they sort of reach no deal, if you like. And then they say, well, what about if I hire you and you come back? What about if I provide you a loan against your boat when you come back? Mm. And so they use that to bridge the gap. Now, in particular, they never find that if the negotiation was easy. They only find it when the negotiation was stumbling and was hard. But at that point, they don't trust each other. They're mad. They're running out of time. It's not easy. So if instead we start the negotiation with, hey, our goal here is to create a big pie and split it. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about what it is in life that you want. What is it you can achieve? Because what my goal is to help you achieve what you want to do. And that doesn't just mean paying you more money. So let's not talk. Let's in fact, let's not talk at all about money for a while. Let's talk about the other things that you want to achieve. What are your problems that I might be able to solve? That's so that's so good because what happens is if we don't approach it that way, we often run the risk of overasking. And you talk about not overasking. Uh, I, I think overasking is a uh, and and by the way, similarly, underoffering mm. uh, mm-hmm. is uh, yep. our two major sins. Yeah. So uh, let's think about them. And, and again, I, I'll stick with my gas station since it seems to be working. Uh, <laughs> I like that. What what happens if the buyer, let's say the, the right price of the gas station is around 450000 and the buyer comes in and says, I'll give you 200000 for your station. Well, I'm thinking, okay, this person is trying to steal this from me. Yeah. That, you know, what, I, I can't trust a single thing they're ever going to say. Mm-hmm. And then I say to them, okay, I've got another offer that begins with a four. And then they say, three seventy five. I say, time out. Did you hear me? It began with a four. Mm-hmm. And then they say, okay, 450. And now they've moved up from 250 to 375 to 450. What do I believe about them? Mm-hmm. That they're like jelly, that they can, they're like gumby. They can keep on moving, that nothing they say has any meaning. So mm-hmm. I don't believe them. They're trying to take advantage of me. And they have to keep on making these giant movements because they were so far away. Yeah. They can't. They can't converge if you'd like. Interesting. And, and similarly, if I'm the seller and I say you have to pay me nine hundred thousand, mm-hmm. and the buyer says, "Well, I can build a brand new one for six fifty. The person says, "Okay, six hundred. It's like, well, again, you know, what planet are you on? 
<laughs> That's true. Uh, or I, maybe I should say, where do I sign? Uh, because, <laughs> That's good. Because essentially, uh, I have to get them back to a, a real place. All and, right. uh, and we saw that actually with Trump and uh, Mexico and who's going to pay for the wall. Yeah, you did see that often with his, with his whole uh, approach to negotiations. Interesting. Yeah. And, and he says to the Mexican president, you know, you're going to pay for the whole wall. Yeah. And the end result is the Mexican president cancels his visit to the United States. Interesting, so man. So by, yeah. by asking for something so extreme, the negotiation never even gets off the ground. All right. So in absence of uh, – this is just a personal question because I'm going to go back to real estate here. Okay. In absence of the initial ability to be able to step back from, from a monetary first approach, what happens? Because mm -hmm. look in real estate. Yeah. I'm, I'm a real estate agent. I'm representing, I'm representing a house for sale. Mm -hmm. And you come in and you're like, damn, I like that house. Let's offer. You have your own agent. Just throw in the offer. There's nothing else in place. It's offer first. What happens then? Well, so you can play the whole dollar game. And sometimes that it's all about that. But what else can you do? You can say, look, I don't have a mortgage contingency. Uh, I can close in six days if you'd like. In fact, I'm not even going to get title insurance. Got it. And so- uh, so do you, by the way, do you care about that? Or by the way, uh, when I bought the house that I'm currently in, it turned out that the spot, one, the the husband's uh, was just had become a widower, mm -hmm. uh, and the kids were in charge of the sale. And what I said is, look, uh, he can live there as long as he needs to, uh, and basically when it's time for him to move yeah. to an assisted facility, that's fine. Uh, and so, uh, but I'd like to buy the house now. And uh, it's okay that he's there. And so what was important to the seller in the particular case? That they didn't have to move the person uh, prematurely. Uh, so do you want a quick sale? Do you want a slow sale? Mm. Do, you want a, mm. do you want me to buy the furniture? Do you not want me to buy the furniture? Got it. I, I like uh, this. And, and it's possible that none of those things matter. Yeah. In the end of the day, it's sort of, I'm taking all the furniture I just care who the highest uh, purchaser is going to be. Yeah. Uh, but it also could be, you know, this house has historic value. And so uh, I promise that I'm not, I'm going to keep the tin ceilings or uh, whatever else uh, that you might care about that's related yeah. to this house. Interesting. And, and you know what I'm hearing? I'm going to read between the lines, Barry, because you're, you're bringing up all these other great points that we can add besides the, uh, the monetary value. Right, mm -hmm. but what you're what you're saying as well is that your agent has to talk to my agent to find out what's important, and sometimes that doesn't happen. Yeah, and your agent has to talk to the seller to find <laughs> out. Uh, Interesting. What's important? What's important as well? I love uh, that. So it goes back. It goes back to what you were originally saying in in some form, which is what I wanted to get to, which is mm -hmm. that. We need to start somewhere else first besides the offer price because we're negotiating so much more than just that. We need to figure out what are the other things that matter. Yeah. And it's possible nothing else matters. Okay. Then it's not going to be that interesting. But we don't know that until we try. 
And that's true for my students with jobs. When is the starting date? What city are you going to be in? Is it a four-day work week or a five-day work week? Can you work from home? Yeah. What can you do to help my spouse potentially get a job? Man, look, after talking to you about negotiations, I feel like, well, after reading the book too, I, I had to relook at my approach in not just negotiating for transactions, right? Mm-hmm. But also negotiating for how I approach hiring. And I sure. looked at it, I'm like, damn, this applies, like you said at the beginning, right? This applies to just more than business, like your marriage. So let me share with you one of my favorite questions a job applicant should ask. Oh, shoot, go. Uh, tell me how it's been that the wonderful people you've hired in the past have failed. So everybody in the negotiation is talking about success, but asking the company what has gone wrong in the past, because remember, when the company's hired people, they've never expected this person isn't going to succeed. This isn't like Ted Lasso, where you're hiring the coach, hoping he's going to fail. The goal is to have it all work out. Now, what do you learn when they answer that question? Well, in the case of Virgin Hotels, the answer was uh, people who ultimately were not team players, who were too much ego, uh, didn't fit into our culture. We are really, it's not about claiming credit. It's Mm -hmm. about having the team succeed. Now, when you've learned that, you can discover, well, actually, that's not a great fit for me. Or, yes, I'm actually the kind of person who is going to succeed in that. You're not going to make the mistake with me. And so, essentially, by understanding what goes wrong, you can then provide them the evidence that you're not going to be the failure case. Mm. And that means Mm. you're creating a bigger pie. That's very and true. So, how do I how do I make the pie big? It's by knowing that it's going to work. And how do I give you more confidence that this hire is going to be successful? Makes sense. And you brought up another question in the book, and I don't know where in the book, but it was by Peter Peter Thiel, and you mm-hmm. mentioned. Um, let me see if I can find it really quick. What commonly held belief do people have that is? Uh, That was it. That was it. You're right. And I I was thinking that when you brought up the first question, interesting, because just going going on questions, that led into a whole new section in the book with with bad BATNA as well. Mm -hmm. So can you expand on that, please, as we wrap up here or close to wrap up? Sure. So people think that because you have a bad alternative, uh, you're in a tough position that some sense, you need this deal. You need this deal more than I do. Yeah. But if I go back to good old Alice and Bob, now Bob has a bad batna. Bob's only getting two slices of pizza. But if Bob walks away, Alice does not beat Alice's four slices. And the goal of the negotiation is to beat your fallback, is to beat your batna. And yeah. the other side can't do that. So yeah, if I have a batna that's two worse than yours, I'm going to get two less than you. But that doesn't change my power in terms of what we can get in the context of splitting the pie. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. Do I have a – tell me if there's time to talk about the uh, negotiation over a a domain name. Oh, heck yeah. Let's do it. We got time. So I got this friend who made a a rookie error. 
Uh, he filed for a trademark mm. and didn't realize that trademarks, yeah. when you file them, are public. They have to be public because otherwise people couldn't object to them. Yeah. And when he went to go and buy the domain name associated with the trademark, he discovered that just after he filed it, somebody else had bought it. And this troll, who I'll call Edward, because that was his name, uh, basically <laughs> sends my friend a note saying, yeah, for $2,500, I'll sell you back this domain name that I can guess that you'd like. Yeah. And my friend then has to figure out, well, okay, you know, what's how weak a position is he in? And he really wants this domain name. It's worth $20,000 to him. Whoa. And so $2,500 seems like it's a pretty good deal. But he discovers that ICANN, who's the domain registry, has a dispute resolution process that for $1,300 will uh, restore the domain name to him because uh, what Edward had done is called registration in bad faith. Got it. Got it. So he writes to Edward and says, look, uh, my bat and my fallback is paying ICANN $1,300. So I don't know why I'd pay you $2,500. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'd rather pay thirteen hundred. You get zero than pay you twenty five hundred. Of course. So now the fact that this domain is worth twenty thousand dollars is irrelevant, because if they reach a deal, my friend's going to get it. Mm-hmm. And if they don't reach a deal, my friend's going to get it. Yeah. So the only question is whether I can get the thirteen hundred dollars or not. That's it. So Edward Edward comes down to eleven hundred. So now, first, uh, who's in a who's in a stronger position now? Uh, who's in the weaker negotiation part, my friend or Edward? It looks like from this this look, it looks yeah. like Edward. Because? Because now he needs to, it looks like he needs to come up to a point where it's going to work for everyone or no one gets anything. Yeah. Well, Edward now is asking for 1100 Yep. That's 1100 better than nothing, no deal, because True. this domain name is worth nothing to Edward. Mm-hmm. But it's only $200 better for my friend. Because my friend basically... Uh, could pay thirteen hundred to Icon, so it's only saving two hundred. Yeah, and so uh, Edward. So my friend says, "Look, there's thirteen hundred dollars to save. I'm willing to pay you six fifty. Uh, I'll be six fifty ahead. You'll be six fifty ahead. Yeah, I won't go any higher than that." Edward comes back and tries to go split the difference, not the pie. It kind of mm. goes to nine hundred, mm. mm. and he says, uh, 900 is the highest I'll go, or the lowest I'll go." So now who's going to win? Edward is sitting there kind of at 900 and my friend is at 650. Well, the thing is, Edward's numbers are arbitrary. He started off with a high number, showed that he's jelly in terms of where he'll go. His 900 is just uh, as, it has no meaning to it. He just yeah. has never picked out of the air. Whereas my friend, the 650, they really need okay, it, yeah. the they don't need it, but the pie is thirteen hundred. Yeah, and it's like I'm six fifty ahead. You're six fifty ahead. I can't save that six fifty without you. Damn it, you troll! <laughs> you can't. But you can't get the six fifty without me. But see, that's that's when I was reading that in the book. By the way, everybody, okay. that's in the book. When I was reading that, I was like, it feels it had just felt so real because that happens so much. Yeah, and so Edward. Uh, so when Edward writes back at 900, my friend doesn't answer. And a week later, Edward says, okay, we got a deal at 650. <laughs> and the point is not that Edward cares about fairness. Yeah. The point is not that Edward believes in the pie theory. Yeah. Because he doesn't. He's a jerk. He's a 
a troll, mm-hmm. but he understood that my friend did. And if my friend believes this and can convey that, then Edward realizes my friend isn't going to move. Got it. And he prefers 650 to zero. Yeah. Whereas my friend believes Edward is going to move because Edward is arbitrary. Mm-hmm. And a principle beats randomness. Now, as you've also guessed, that my friend was me here. So this was uh, my story. And the other moral is uh, buy the damn domain name for 12 bucks before you file for trademark. That was the end of that chapter. I remember reading it at the bottom. Very good point. Very good point, Barry. All right, Barry. I, I think the way you you outlined this book in the progression through through the different five sections, I thought it was so well thought out and explained that I followed along really well with this. And it did make me think back because so for me personally, my background's in real estate. So I was yeah. I was going back. That's why I was being facetious and went like 800K. I was like, with your answer. Um, I looked through it and I was like, wow, this can really be applied to so much if we would just take the time to approach it this way. Mm-hmm. And, and so it made me, like I told you earlier, it really made me reflect on approaching not just the business aspect of this, but so much more of the daily negotiations that we go through. Well, I'll give you one other real estate example that... Uh, in the apartment building I live in in New York, uh, a couple was leaving and had to do a fire sale. And uh, the real estate agent who was involved in this was going to get a big commission. But of course, we were buying it with the idea of renting it and reselling it. And so one of the things we could offer to that real estate agent is, and you'll get the listing when we sell it. And, uh, but I don't want you, but it doesn't seem right for you to get kind of the double commission here. Yeah, and I can see that. by the way, we're also happy for you to be a co-investor with us. And oh, so, okay. And everybody kind of understood that this was not going to be at the was not at the market price, uh, because this person uh, really needed to sell in a hurry. Uh, and so, essentially, uh, we created two aspects of pie for the agent. Okay, one was the double commission, if you'd like, or the now maybe one and a half commission. So we got a, a savings in that regard okay. and his ability to participate with us. Well, I love that because here's, here's what people need to listen to as they're listening into this part is the ability for you to be able to show how the negate the negotiations are going to go. And, and you do that so well and saying, Hey, look, let me kind of set the standard. Right. And then we'll go from there. Because mm-hmm. a lot of people don't know that, that there are standards that you're coming in with. Because if you don't have standards, it's just whatever it is that you typically react to. Exactly. People just make arbitrary numbers. Five, four, three, two, one. Shake my <laughs> hand. Do this deal. That's Well, that's why it goes back to what you're saying, which is you're probably starting too high or too low because you don't have enough information. Mm-hmm. So I love that. Barry, it was awesome interviewing you, man. Really it's awesome really, being with you. Thank you. Really enlightening. And everyone, pick up that book. This this can really help you look at the world that you're in differently, not just for business, but everything else in between there, because we negotiate on everything, right? It's not just business. Yeah. And we're going to put some logic into negotiation. Uh, yeah. A lot of other folks talk about the emotional side and that's good. I'm, I'm down with the emotions, but let's add some logic yeah. and help you understand what you're really negotiating about. Thank okay. you. Thanks, Barry. Thanks for being on. 
Those are all the brilliant thoughts that we have for you today. If you like what you're hearing, drop us a review or just tell your friends. This has been a success podcast. Head to success.com slash podcast to hear more just like it.